You're listening to Rookie Pirate Radio, the official anime and manga podcast for InBetweenDrafts.com. I'm John Negroni. And I'm Travis Hymas. And today we're doing a manga recap, One Piece Chapter 1099, titled Pacifist. And Travis, I'd like you to pass me a fist bump, because what a chapter this was. Yeah, it was It was a necessary kind of, a, kind of a, let's pull things back a little bit after the previous chapter in many ways. Honestly, my favorite, th- this is my favorite moment is like when I throw something like that at you and you're, you're just like, I, I don't no know what idea to do how with to this, respond. I, I have no idea what to do with that. Yeah. As usual. <laughs> that's, that's fair. <laughs> we're going to be discussing spoilers for the One Piece manga up until this chapter. So if you have not yet read 1099, be sure to do so now for free on the Viz website or the Shonen Jump app. We link to that in the show notes. And remember, all new One Piece chapters are available to read for free up to three weeks after their official release or whenever you want if you're subscribed to Shonen Jump which we are and do recommend. First order of business, oops, Freeran didn't come out. Everybody's upset. I'm upset. Travis is upset. Even Allison Johnson is upset. You know, I was straight up just going to pretend it came out and just and just be like, oh, uh, Cause of there war was an the issue. Discord. There was like an issue in the upload. So y'all didn't see. I was just going to completely fake it till we wow. made it. Well, at least you admit it. And uh, no, but the truth of it is it, you know, the holidays and we could not, we could not coordinate a time. However, we're probably going to be getting some breaks coming up soon. Freerun is on the docket. One other anime that's on the docket, I hope we can talk about is for sure Scott Pilgrim takes off. I just kind of want to lightly tease maybe after our manga recap, we talk a little bit about Scott Pilgrim takes off and some stuff and who knows. I mean, now that you've opened the door to that, I will not let you stop me from walking through it. There we go. So yeah, we might we might be able to do a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah, I would say Scott Pilgrim takes off deserves its own episode, but we could at least tease and have fun. Hmm. That's strange, Travis Hymas. Hmm. I just had this thought. It was a lull. I was like, well, you know, Scott Pilgrim takes off. Great anime. Great, great TV show. I'd love to talk about it with a community of fans. Hmm. I don't really have any websites where I can do that. I don't have Twitter or X or whatever the hell that's supposed to be. And hmm, let's see, Tumblr's kaput. Well, dang. Well, oh, I uh, guess uh, I'll have to may, use Slack. May I offer? Uh, well, may I? Well, you're on the right track. Uh, I might offer not a website, but a but an application that you install on your computer. I know there it's probably go. been a while since you've done that. Travis, the uh, salesman over here. Let's hear here it. Go. What's the pitch? The, this is a this is an application, a little little free application you can install called Discord. And unlike Not Twitter, Discord. Discord shut down. Remember, Discord doesn't no. exist anymore. Travis, no. Who told you that? My anime list. <laughs> uh, I would not. Uh, I would. Uh, I would double check your source on that because our Discord is alive and well and asking where the free run episode is. It's uh, back. Actively, we have Discord again. The yes. best way to communicate with fans of Rookie Pirate Radio, the entire community, and more. And more, all, uh, just not just uh, not just anime, but uh, everything that in between drafts covers. Uh, just uh, just recently, we've had a little bit of chats about the Doctor Who uh, 60th anniversary. Posted the first review of those uh, today, as of this recording. Doctor uh, over Who, there. Um, Doctor Who. That's his name. That's that's the man's name. It's what it says on the business card. Wow. Uh, and uh, and yeah, uh, you know, having having a little bit of chats about that. 
Uh, hopefully, hopefully some interesting things come of that. But I mean, if you want to talk about Napoleon, which just came out, or you want to pop over and start doing some Grammy predictions with our music section, you can do all of that in the same place, um, just with the Discord link in the show notes. It is there. It is available for you. Uh, and like I said, Discord's a free app, and unlike Twitter, hasn't completely collapsed on itself yet. So you can go there and drop your hot takes. Sounds exciting, because now I can drop all my unhinged movie reviews on the Discord. The last few have gotten me in trouble, that's for dang sure. They, they sure have. The mouse has probably paid you a visit, at least. Oh, yes. I, I said that uh, Wish, Disney's Wish was a, a nightmare. And uh, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, I had some feelings. And so, you know, I look, when they put me in charge of the film section and in between drafts, they didn't say I couldn't not not be terror my, my favorite part about you saying that is when you say we you mean you the, the whole time right that's you true did this that sounds great travis um you know what's kind of funny though not a lot of people have been talking about it because it's a little bit of a best kept secret people are like oh yeah okay you know there's the discord everybody's on the discord everyone's having fun there sometimes they want to send us messages on the slide but not everybody knows about the email address and uh you know they're they're we've been getting some emails and uh you know They've been some fun ones, some saucy ones, some, uh, you know, sugar spice and everything nice. But uh, I got to tired. I, I want everybody to know about the email address now. But here's the problem. I forgot what it is. Oh, well, don't worry. I've got the hookups for you. It's rookiepirateradio at gmail.com. Oh, again, one more I'm time. Let me do a screen recording that's, that's how, so I can yeah. Yeah, to capture that. And I know I, I know the repetition is working because we are, in fact, getting emails. And that's rookiepirateradio at gmail.com. Wow. Fantastic. And and Travis, I'm sure the people listening are like, guys, we're okay, you're like six. I'm gonna get to the, the the manga recap. But there is one more thing. One more thing, and we're ready to go. Happy Thanksgiving to all who celebrate. All right. Let's talk about one piece, one thousand. We have the main beats here. Travis, uh, we do start off with a reader request, another one. And this time, okay, this is a weird one because we see Kazuki Odin getting his hair did by some tanukis, some raccoon dogs. It just, you know, it's fun, you know. I love Odin. I love Oda. Does Oda, he doesn't usually use like dead characters, like canonic dead characters. Like, that, not that much. It feels like it's been a while. He, like, he's used some from like black stories, I want to say, but I don't know. This one kind of, I felt something. What, what did you think of it? I felt a little bit uh, off. You know, uh, like, I don't really make much of it at this point. I kind of want cover stories to come back. I'm not going to lie. These, these are adorable and, and it's fun for Oda, but like, I, I almost wonder if he's just adding to his workload having to do this, like, rather than just literally anything else. I, I, I don't know. I hear you. Bring, bring back the cover story. If I will we're say, do this. Maybe part of me is a little sore because lately, instead of cover stories, you've been getting like the extra material on the anime and the anime is like basically done with Wano now, you know, praise be. And I'm feeling a little bit like whenever I see Wano stuff, I'm feeling a little, I'm, I'm, I already feel nostalgic. Is that weird? It, it feels weird. I don't know. I think that new OP really helps it feel nostalgic. Like it really hits mm. home just how much is the like the Wano arc actually was just by itself. Like there yeah. are other anime that would have told the entire Wano story as its story. And for One Piece, it was a side quest practically. Yeah, for for those of you who do watch the anime or check in, just a heads up, January, we're getting Egghead Islands. I think uh, we have, we'll have a few episodes kind of covering the post, you know, Wano in between arc stuff. And then, yeah, Egghead's going to be kicking off in earnest. So anyway, back to the chapter proper. 
We jump right into the action. We see Kuma trying to save as many people in the Sorbet Kingdom as he can from King Bakori. Despite everyone else fearing, Kuma might die from his extreme efforts. He's kind of on his own here. We cut to Bakori saying that he was inspired by a kingdom in the east, so implying the Goa kingdom, that it did something similarly cruel to its people in order to be praised by the celestial dragons. However, the people begin to mount a furious resistance to the fires raging in the south, and the people are about to be gunned down when Kuma arrives. We, we uh, quickly see at the same time the wounded are being treated at Kuma's church, and the elders are telling Bonnie to stay inside as she looks out hoping Kuma is safe, despite his peaceful ways, or as she calls it, being a chicken. Uh, which, wow, Bonnie. Precocious, but uh, yeah. That's when we see Kuma attack Bakori, despite the evil despot telling him he'll pay dearly if he strikes a king, but Kuma, of course, does not care and unleashes a massive attack, a huge Ursa bubble that the narrator refers to, uh, he calls it an incident, the solo revolution of Sorbet Kingdom. We then transition to Mary Joa, where the Gorsei are discussing the new king in Sorbet, and then the narrator steps in to explain that Kuma reluctantly became the symbolic king, the figurehead of Sorbet Kingdom, uh, at the will of the people that he saved, even though he doesn't want to be the king, doesn't see himself as a king, and he's still living out of the old church. All the actual king politicianing is being left to old bulldog, which we find out was the king from two generations ago, and later we'll find out is Connie's husband, or husband or mother, father, or mother Adam. Son. Or, Son, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Then out of nowhere, we see Bonnie sprinting around the church in the adult form we normally see her in, and this is a shock to everyone, including Kuma, who at first thinks that she's Jimmy, and she's surprised as well to see that she transformed, and someone asks if she ate a devil fruit, she reverts to back to her true age, and someone looks it up as the age-age fruit, or the Toshitoshi no Mi. And we even see her practicing how to get older, and at one point, someone thinks she's transformed into Connie, the Queen Dowager, who we should assume at this point is unrelated to Bonnie, despite our theories from not that long ago, insisting otherwise. Anyway, Bulldog also arrives and tells Kuma and the gang that King Bakori is coming back and has been spreading lies about Kuma as a wicked dictator who sees the throne with violence by burning villages. So we kind of get a, our indication, right, that basically the Kuma tyrant thing, as we suspected, was completely made up. Bakori has the world government on his side and is gearing up to return yet again, and the elders are rightfully concerned that he's going to kill all of them this time. But Kuma resolves that he will not let Bakori even step foot in the country again, but he also recognizes that once this happens, once he fights back, he will be seen as a criminal and won't be able to stay in Sorbet Kingdom any longer, which would mean Bulldog has to be this country's Joe Biden, essentially. And Travis, you cannot convince me that this is not what Oda is referencing right now. I'm just saying. Just, uh, I'm, you know, I, I, we'll get into the, into the beats. I'm going to give you that one because <laughs> I want to give you that one because this entire sequence is already a John W. So I'm just going to give it to you 100%. Oops. We see Bonnie in the background trying to make herself look like Connie, which is funny, as Bulldog agrees to take care of Bonnie while Kuma is gone. We cut right to Kuma being spotted by Bakori and the Navy out in open water, but the narrator declares that Kuma off-screened all the ships, so we're probably not going to be able to see any of this actual action until the anime gets to it. Anyway, after all of that, Kuma flees to the sea and a bounty was put on his head that would only get higher and higher over time. But uh, back in Sorbet, Bonnie is upset over his absence, naturally, and she even tells Connie that once she's 10 cured of her disease, she'll be a pirate too and can turn into a grown-up. We next see Kuma traveling to various islands as a pirate in search of a cure for Bonnie. Uh, we don't actually see his crew, but I, I don't know if we're supposed to assume that he's like a one-man pirate crew, as we've always thought. 
But uh, anyway, yeah, he's searching for a cure for Bonnie before the disease kills her at age 10. So there's still that t- uh, time limit and the fact that Bonnie is still unaware that she's still that she's not going to be cured at 10. She will die at 10. And actually, these are some of the islands Kuma will later send the Straw Hats during the Saudi Archipelago arc. So we see the Torino Kingdom, where Chopper trained with the seemingly primitive inhabitants. Kiragana Island, where we actually see Abdullah and Jeet trying to claim his bounty as pirate hunters, which, by the way, mirrors a certain pirate hunter named Zoro, who would later train in this place with Mihawk. We go, we see Karakuri Island or Futureland Baltimore, the birthplace of Vegapunk, where Frankie studied uh, Vegapunk's technology. Weviria, which is the artificial sky island where Nami trained. And then lastly, the Boyne Archipelago. That was Those were the uh, flower-shaped islands where Usopp trained with Heracles. And we even see kind of Heracles in one. We, in that we, we uh, do also get te- yeah. Tequila Wolf, where Robin was sent originally. Oh, yes, yes. Missed, left that off by accident. Now, uh, I'm, by the way, I, I was kind of wondering, because like, if, if I recall, Boyne Archipelago had a forest of gluttony, and, you know, Ginny, Bonnie, gluttony. And, and anyway, uh, sometime later, Kuma reunites with the dragon and the revolutionaries where he grants Bello Betty permission to take over Ginny's position of East Army commander because dragon wouldn't let anyone else do it unless Kuma was okay with it. Uh, dragon also mentions Sabo and Koala wanting to see him again, and Kuma mentions how he'd like to return to the revolutionaries one day remarking on you know what he's seen throughout the world in his travels and he's just kind of noted like you know dragon we kind of need your help dude uh dragon then tells kuma about vegapunk who recently had to leave punk hazard due to caesar clown making a mess of things and for a short time security would be lax enough for kuma to visit him in search of a cure for bonnie even though he's world governments the idea is that dragon probably thought all along like yeah vegapunk could probably help out but he's like so protected that he didn't even mention vegapunk to kuma until now when the opportunity you know it's it's kind of serendipitous you know that they actually he managed to run into the revolutionaries when he did uh, but anyway, Dragon sends him off with a mention of winds guiding him, further metastasizing the long-running theory that Dragon is a wind or air logia. But anyway, uh, we next see Kuma return to Bonnie and Sorbet Kingdom in order to pick her up. And after all this time, she's actually gotten a lot stronger, even in her child form. She's been training, of course, to become a pirate like her dad. We next cut to Egghead Island, then known as simply Laboratory 8, where Bonnie and Kuma meet Vegapunk and tease each other's weird appearances. So it turns out Vegapunk does have a way to cure Bonnie, who is in another area playing with Sintomaru. And the cure involves generating new stem cells and transporting, uh, transplanting them, which Vegapunk says would be as expensive as making a cyborg. But once Vegapunk realizes that Kuma is a buccaneer, he makes a deal to do the cure for free if Kuma lets him make clones of himself based on his blood samples. Kuma says he's up for it, but doesn't want to know what Vega, or he does want to know what Vegapunk has in mind for these clones. And then Vegapunk promises that he wants them to protect the people from pirates and be heroic, mighty warriors from the future. Kuma agrees to the deal. Vegapunk, Vegapunk calls him a saint. Uh, speaking of saints, though, back in Mary Joa, Saturn is actually secretly either listening in on the conversation or is being informed of this conversation after the fact by supposedly maybe a spy. Uh, Saturn criticizes Vegapunk for not recognizing the clone soldiers as weapons valued for how many people they can kill, but he apparently has a plan to deal with this. Last, we see Kuma shrug off the saint compliment and insist to Vegapunk that no, he is just a weak-willed pacifist, and Vegapunk says he likes that word so much, he thinks he'll use it as the name of his future soldiers. No break next week, we're getting 1100, might be the last chapter of the year, and you know, just some deserved rest coming Oda's way, I assume. But we have a lot to talk about. We have a lot to unpack here, Travis. Where do you want to start? 
Uh, let's let's start. I, w- I want to start with the final line at the end here because I think it ties. Oh, I, I think it's a perfect uh, book end to uh, the beginning of the chapter, which is this King Bakori continuing to crawl back every single time. Um, I think it's interesting that Oda has kind of made this recurring problem, not explicitly, but subtly kind of make it clear that Kuma's pacifism does have consequences, which is that this keeps happening. And so he does eventually make the choice to presumably it does get off screen. And I do think that that's intentional so that the, when we see Kuma really actually compromise on his morals, it's not depicted on screen that checks out for me. Uh, but, but it it is, it is interesting that that's the time he decides he can no longer be in the church. He can no longer be in the survey kingdom, even though, you know, all all things considered, he could, you know, we've had plenty of tyrants seize power in one piece. It doesn't really seem like he wouldn't, you know, necessarily be left alone outside of what he knows personally about the world government it really does feel like he's setting a, a penance on himself uh as a consequence for the decisions and the and the and the morals that he holds up and then you get him kind of acknowledge that verbally at the end of the chapter even here he's willing to basically let his legacy be one of being a soldier rather than being anything that he might have actually wanted to be uh because it will save bonnie at the end of the day he's a pushover is kind of what he's saying i think that's a good book book end because it's getting increasingly likely that this is going to be the last time we see Kuma speak for himself. Mm. Yeah, I think that's where we're headed. We're headed towards some kind of scenario where Kuma is going to really just shift. And one thing that I really want to note, just on a character level at this point, one thing that I think this flashback has maybe surprised me a little bit is how much attention it is giving us to the, the dichotomy of Kuma. He is such a paradox of a person. You know, he is so peace loving. We, we get that face of his. We have that image of him where the glasses are transparent. We see his eyes and like his hair is kind of fashioned like the little ears. But he's just, he's kind. And he's like, you can stop teasing me now, guys. Come on. He's like a bit of a goober. Like the last chapter, he was so clean and wonderful with, with of course, Bonnie. But then we the first image of this chapter, we see Kuma just like the darkness of him. We see him like with such fury. And like, I really hope that Oda is leading that to like, this is him sort of like, there is that side of him that is a bit of a machine already, even before what happens with the cyborg stuff and Vegapunk, that he kind of recognizes this violent side of himself. And I find it utterly fascinating. Like, what Oda seems to be doing with this character, it, it just, it adds even more tragedy to him. And it's so well written because like he could just be a pure saint. He could just sort of be like always does the right thing. And he does, but he does have that brutality to him. And it just, ah, it just makes me so curious for like how everything is going to turn out for our, for our buddy. And that's the big question, Travis, is this, is this it for Kuma? Some people have been questioning it. They've been saying, maybe not, maybe, maybe so. I mean, we, we now know for sure, right. That like clones are on the table. There's not necessarily anything to, Literally, Stop. I'm looking at a table right now. There are clones on top of it. Yeah, like, like, um, <laughs> you know, uh, there's nothing to say that like Vegapunk doesn't have like a, an empty one, so to speak, on standby. Uh, mm. Notably, this conversation at the end between uh, Vegapunk and Kuma is happening what I believe to be in the exact same room, maybe the exact same conversation uh, where they discuss the memory bubble originally about yes. extracting all of that. 
That seems so to it be seems the case. Like this, yeah, it seems like this is either before that conversation or I, I would I would say probably before what we've seen before, just kind of considering the flow of discussion. It has to be a little bit of time passed, though, because I think Vegapunk does have the apple on his head by the time they have yeah, that conversation. Right? right. That's what I mean. Like, it has to be yeah. kind of in the same place. So it's probably not the same conversation necessarily, but like timeline wise, um, because the other thing that you would assume happens at some point is Vegapunk is made aware of what Saturn's grand scheme here is, uh, which I, I've now kind of come around to. Why? Why is Saturn the way that he is? Because whatever he's plotting is going to be more cruel than just re-enslaving Kuma. You could even argue that one of the reasons Vegapunk changes his head is because of Kuma's teasing <laughs> and maybe Bonnie too. And like, that's one of the things that like together they kind of like we might get like a montage or something where we kind of get to see like Kuma, Bonnie, Sentamaru and Vegapunk chilling, hanging out, being close. And it, it really like makes a makes something of like we see Bonnie kind of playing with Sentamaru's axe and stuff. It just adds to the tragedy of like the egghead situation and it explains why Sentamaru has an attachment first and foremost to Vegapunk, to Bonnie. Like Sentamaru like when it came down to it was like yeah okay the navy navy ain't it i'm, I'm gonna turn it against them if it's for my bestie oh yeah i mean absolutely i mean it's it, it is quite literally um just so tragic that all of these characters and, and we're kind of learning for the first time just how all these characters fit together but it's always been there in the story so it's it's one of those rare circumstances where it's retroactively improving the content that came before even you know we've thought we've had all kinds of theories for years and years and years over a decade of like why did kuma send these people to these locations why why you know why did he think of this how did he even do it and the answer is because he was literally at all of them he he just knew which is such a simple answer but it speaks so much to what he actually did is that it wasn't just like, oh, this is what I know of the Straw Hats from their wanted posters. Like, this is his own experience being applied. And you could even imagine, like, a co that conversation that he has with Rayleigh that we don't really get to see, uh, where he sits down and it probably explains himself. Like, I, you know, I went here for this kind of thing. Uh, and that's just, that's so cool. That's so cool that it, the, the answer isn't necessarily like this mind-blowing thing. It makes perfect sense. Everything about this chapter is stuff we've either predicted what? or saw coming. But it just, it feels, oh, you're, you're, are you going to like next level me here? Not next level. Because I didn't mean. I just I have a little baby <laughs> theory. A little tiny, little little, little peck of a theory. Okay. I'll okay. You know, finish your thought, of course. Uh, I was just going to say, like, like I, I just like the idea that like, oh, Kuma was able to pull this whole stunt off because of the journey that he took and if he didn't take that journey then the straw hats would have been completely ruined at sabaody like he he like it, it highlights just how much harder he saved them which is just incredible to think about well that's the thing i wonder if there's more to it i wonder if part of this flashback and i, I know i've brought this up before is going to reveal more of what happened in between thriller bark and sabaody archipelago what I'm kind of wondering is whether or not the plan to save the Straw Hats was something that Kuma saw coming, maybe even with other characters, including Dragon. Because what I could see it being is like, we, we actually go to like Thriller Bark and what happens afterward, and Kuma goes to Dragon, tells him what happens, and for whatever reason, 
they figure out that the straw hats are going to be in trouble and they decide like it was, it was kuma and dragon kind of orchestrating this for whatever reason and kuma being like i know the perfect like planning it ahead of time to be like i'll send this person here i'll send this person there i want i i've always kind of been fascinated by the mystery of why kuma did what he did why he wanted to help them why he guarded the sunny it was clearly orchestrated and the only character i can think of who would have a plan that deal down to like again sending robin right over to uh sending to baltigo right and like that whole thing i just really really believe that they they planned it and that this I mean- was like Set yeah, up. That's, that, that's what I'm saying. Is like at the very least, it wasn't just an impulse. It wasn't like luck. It wasn't fate. It had to have been thought through, right? Because it, 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 Robin, Robin again. Robin didn't get sent to Baltigo. She could have been sent to Baltigo, but he didn't send her to Baltigo because that would have revealed that the revolutionaries were at Baltigo. He sent her to Tequila Wolf, where he knew there was going to be an operation for the rev- where the revolutionaries could pick her up, which is and that's why so much smarter. I'm glad you mentioned it. I did kind of stumble over that because I'm like, wait a second. No, no, it makes somewhere it click. before Baltigo. It so makes I kind it of messed yeah. that up. But no, but the, I kind of wonder if it wasn't really about the straw hats. Like maybe there was a sort of thing where he says to Dragon's like, yeah, your son. And Dragon's like, whatever. Yeah, I know about Luffy. But it was more about Robin. Because I think Robin, they know, is one of the keys to something involving like the O'Hara incident is especially close to Dragon. And if they knew that like, oh, shoot, Robin is going to stop at the archipelago. There are celestial dragons there. Aokiji has been after them. Kuma might even be aware of that. And so the decision might be made of like the straw hats are not strong enough. Robin is going to get captured. She is too important. We're going to save them basically like do an operation to save them. I'd have to go back to the chapters to see if like dragon was surprised by Robin showing up. Uh, I don't actually recall if that's the case. And maybe I could uh, I mean, do a little bit of fact. I mean, you're there. now, you, I mean, now you're opening my brain to thinking about why didn't, why did, uh, dragon not tell robin about what happened after ohara because mm. now that kind of feels like a like a jerk move what like what do you what do you think he should have told her i mean i mean about the knowledge being preserved and everything oh think, did he did he know when did he know about oh yeah because he, he knew when he was talking to vegapunk right yeah because they were both there that's interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even consider that. Yeah, I'm going to have to like wrap my brain around that one. Hmm. That one's I mean, I mean the answer is because Oda didn't write it yet, hadn't right? Yet. <laughs> yeah, hadn't hadn't decided to do that would be probably the answer. I mean, fun fun thing the Connie reveal is just kind of played entirely as a joke here. Uh, because it's like, yeah, it's a thing I made up and then I have to make work later. Uh, here, look, it's funny. Um but uh but yeah now you've got me thinking well yeah if this was all planned why didn't dragon just like get her up to speed beforehand or does he not know that they're on elbath like like is there a discrepancy there that could have i mean i'm I'm, there's a lot a lot this this flashback in particular has really really put dragon into some very interesting lights because i think i know less now about the man than i did going into this somehow for a character who, who's got less screen time than all of our mystery characters that we think so much about. I think Dragon has just about as much screen time as Emo. <laughs> but like, man, he, the, his thought process is weird. It is, it is. Whatever uh, we he's did, doing is weird. 
we did, by the way, get to see the wind grandma. Uh, I forgot to mention that. Um, mm, true. Yeah. So, so yeah, there, there's a lot to that. I still think a lot. I still think this flashback, like people have been mentioning like, oh, we're getting so close to the present. And I think people are kind of assuming that it's going to end close to like, you know, where we meet Kuma in the story. But again, I think that we're going to get filling a uh, filling in of the gaps. You know, I think we're going to get more details of like why Kuma, you know, loses his will, the real beef between him and Saturn. And then of course we're going to get to the, you know, I think some missing pieces. Like I, I would be so surprised if we didn't at least have Kuma running into Bonnie <laughs> in Sabadi Archipelago. Cause there still is that lack of closure. Um, I know, you know, you and I talked about how he could get his memories back on Egghead through that bubble. That's still there. And he could have like one last, you know, Bonnie, you know, you may have been your father and your daddy. That whole thing. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Kind of a closure thing. Talking about Saturn. Yeah. 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 Right. (laughs) I mean, so when you, when you get down to it, even if, even if we, you know, this flashback in particular, I think is fascinating because we are now very firmly in a period of time that we usually do not go to for flashbacks. Yeah. Right Right before the start of the story or like in between romance dawn and when Luffy sets out. Right. Right. Like this is, this is a period of time we are usually not mucking around. And so it it seems completely feasible that we will continue through and the pace that it's going can absolutely do it all in the same chapter. So we could probably close this out and it's, you know, notably it's a big milestone chapter. Again, we've hit another hundred chapters, nice big fat Mm. zeros at the end of that number. Oda usually likes to do a big final thing, uh, especially for a year end chapter or something like that. So we could close this out on, on the rest of this playing out. And I don't see why we wouldn't get some extra context because now at this point, stuff during the time skip is, has, you know, time has passed. It is still a flashback now. Um, you know, there's a bunch of world events that happened that we only ever heard about in, in passing. Um, Kuma was still, you know, a Shichibukai the whole time. So like, maybe he knows about the Rocky port incident. Maybe he's involved somewhere, something, like there's there's all of these things that you know basically from the moment where we know for sure kuma is completely wiped out which technically isn't until after he leaves the thousand sunny uh and when frankie arrives we could still be getting more info more more secrets more details maybe even more because there's stuff here that we see that isn't specifically kuma's memory right like we get cuts to bonnie who was still on Sorbet Kingdom while Kuma was away at sea, but we're still seeing that because, you know, it's a flashback. It's not like we're actually in the memory bubble, right? So there's all kinds of of stuff that we could still see. And I think it's absolutely possible that it's going to go maybe right up to before they pick up the boat in Sabaody. It just seems very, very likely at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, yeah, it's so interesting that you mentioned we've gotten so much dragon lately. And some people have been speculating that because 1100 kind of mirrors chapter 100, which was the first appearance of dragon, we could get like a major dragon moment, you know, and we're, we kind of set up for that, right? Um, that would be cool. We've gotten so much of him in, the, in this whole flashback, which I know there have been some complaints that it's been a little bit surface level, the amount of dragon we've gotten, like we haven't really peered deep into his character, but I'm kind of grateful for what we've gotten, honestly, like. We've gotten revelations of like he was in the Marines. We've gotten more of his personality, like how he really cares for his, you know, for his soldiers. So I, I'm not complaining. And, and by the way, that era in between Romance Dawn and Luffy going out to sea, I like to call it the era of Cavendish. Uh, my my <laughs> second favorite 
the, the era that, of Can- Cavendish. That's good. Otherwise known as the era of Corazon. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. otherwise. True. But true. I, <laughs> yeah, so that, that's a fun little bit of time. The Toshi Toshi no me. This has been really throwing me off because when you first read this chapter, I think a lot of people assume the devil fruits in the church and Bonnie somehow gets a hold of it and eats it. That makes no sense. Um, she's been stuck in this church. How does she get a devil fruit? Nobody knows where it came from. They have to look it up in the encyclopedia. Here's what I brought up. I brought this up in the discord. I kind of have been wondering if she ate it as a baby. It's something that Ginny gave her because Ginny was in Mary Joa. Mary Joa is known to have a lot of devil fruits, like especially like really rare and powerful ones. I could absolutely see a case where Ginny stole one somehow and fed it to Bonnie thinking that it might protect her or something from this disease. A wild guess, but it just, it doesn't, nothing else seems to make sense. I don't think Oda would be so careless. Like if it was really not important, he could have just said like, oh my gosh, someone left in a devil fruit from, you know, a journey or something. Like someone could have easily explained it in a single square. Like it didn't have to be so random. Like, and we don't see her eat it. We see that she is surprised that she has these powers, right? And it could be one of those things where it didn't manifest until she was old enough. You know, it could be one of those things where like, you know, sometimes devil fruits don't kick in until later. And she's been stuck in, you know, this church she hasn't been at sea. She hasn't, she wouldn't know that she can't swim or anything like that. Right. So I actually think it really tracks. So I'm, I'm cracking my knuckles because this is uh this is the, this is the meat and potatoes of what I want to talk about. Yeah. Especially, Are, especially with you as, as the uh, chairman and CEO of the Bonnie for straw hat club. Mm. Uh, I'm just kind of curious if you're a subscriber is. of like, Oh, she manifested the devil fruit, like I, some kind of, mm-hmm. I am not because what I am seeing here, like I, I think you're actually right. I think getting it as a baby is the most likely solution uh, to anything else because that would explain why Ginny had to personally escort her to this to the Sorbet Kingdom instead of doing the good old fashioned thing that everybody does with babies, which is put them in a treasure chest and just hope for the best. Uh, <laughs> that's not what happened. Ginny uh, personally the sailed the baby to to the Sorbet Kingdom. Which, by the way, Bonnie Not was in a chest on the way to Bonnie was in a chest on the way to Egghead, just right? Just, Wait, yeah, know, just you know, just to bring it home, right? So but you know, hypothetically, she wouldn't be able to swim. You know, something were to happen if she sent her out on her own to be found by somebody, that wouldn't work, basically, right? So, so as a baby seems the most likely, likely Occam's razor. I think it, uh, you know, I think it's kind of funny. Again, it's one of those things where Oda is kind of putting the pieces together now. Uh, because he hasn't been able to do it until now. So like, oh, I forgot to tell them what the fruit was called. I'm going to finally write it in the in the book. Uh, I forgot everything else about this. Let's just say she had it the whole time. That's fun. Uh, you know, again, Occam's Razor. Yeah, but- just as a reminder, like if you haven't been keeping up with the show, like literally in the most recent SBS, Vega Punk was like, oh, I didn't say what it's called. The, the Toshi Toshi no Mi. He didn't have to do that if he knew he was just going to put it in here, unless he put it in here as a little bit of a, you know, all right, fine. Yeah, I I think I think a lot of this is just admin at this point is is putting the the remaining pieces together, because if he didn't, if he didn't acknowledge the Connie thing in, you know, with this kind of joke, people would be talking about it forever. Right. So it's just it's just one of those things. He's got to do it. So the fact that he didn't do it with the fruit, like where it came from, you know, I think I think we can kind of extrapolate out from there. But this whole thing. Bonnie just 
everybody's in everybody's in the same room they're having a conversation next thing you know a child displays a devil fruit power there's an older character in the room who is wearing a hat that that kid will eventually go on to wear <laughs> when they go to sea and become a pirate um they themselves are just anxious to go to sea when they're old enough uh at the, at the uh, dismay of the older woman that they have that is caretaking uh, for 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 them now i mean the luffy the parallels like slap is in the <laughs> right the, the, the guy who looks like whoop slap a little bit the luffy parallels are off the friggin charts all of a sudden like like bonnie has always had similarities to luffy a lot of the supernovas have had similarities to luffy in one way or the other that's the point it's it helps you understand the characters and the differences it's narrative devices right but now we're just seeing bonnie doing luffy things just accidentally displaying devil fruit powers um just like the romance dawn when shanks grabs his arm and it just stretches and they're both freaked out like it's the same thing and that's so weird to do at this point <laughs> i i'm not quite sure if it's just for fun or if we're supposed to read more into it. But at this point, Jewelry Bonnie and Monkey D. Luffy have a lot in common and it cannot be, you know, uh, because Oda's writing it this way, it's not a coincidence, but like it, it's not a coincidence considering the person that, that outside of her father, she might be most excited to see would be the sun God Nika. And wouldn't you know it, there's a devil fruit that'll take care of that for you. So, I'm very curious how this all ends up paying off for Bonnie specifically with her relationship with Luffy, which right now takes the form of, boy, we sure like eating, don't we? Hmm. Well, well, that and the fact that like Luffy at least likes her. Luffy does seem to like her because he actually uses her name. Yeah. Um, I want, I want to read uh, a couple of uh, key comments here that I think is interesting and kind of leads into what you're saying. I'll start with a fun one. Uh, this is from effigy. FG said, great chapter, really solid character and lore work from Oda, even without any big reveals. Plus, the Bonnie Connie stuff was hilarious. And yeah, we didn't really talk about that, but the whole like she makes herself look like Connie. Like you kind of mentioned, like Oda kind of added it in there, made it comic relief. And, you know, it's still a little weird because it's like she makes herself look older. So how does she make herself look older and like another person? Whatever. The, the joke is they look similarly enough as old people that it just passes. It's it's one of those things where if he didn't put that specific joke in, you know the next time One Piece goes on break, there's going to be a YouTuber with a 20-minute video trying to like make sense of it all. And I mean, there's still to do will be. Solid. I mean, <laughs> there's no stopping that, Travis. I mean, no I'll send you the thumbnail as soon as I see it. Uh, this is from Snickersnack. <laughs> uh, Snickersnack said, nice flashback on those islands the Straw Hats got sent to. Hope he could see the dialogue before Kuma loses all his memories. I'm guessing the government wouldn't mind having a buccaneer's body for a soldier, but Kuma's thoughts involve Nika, so they'd want to erase his mind. I guess that's the simplest explanation. My only thing with that is just... I'm trying to remember the chapter, which one it was, where we have... um, Like, Bonnie is going to, like, stab Saturn, and Mm -hmm. is kind of like... It, like the memory of it is already starting to flash a little bit. Um, I'd have to yeah. like look it up, maybe. Yeah, like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like, oh, where no, it's, you where can't it's, do it, Saturn. Yeah. Where, yeah, where it's Saturn giving the order to erase Kuma's will, right? Yes, I think it's chapter 1094. I'll I'll glance at it real quick, but yeah, I think that's the one. And then I'll I'll try to read this off um, in a in a GIF in a GIF. So yeah, okay, here we go. Uh, 
So Bonnie's going to like stab him, and then she's remembering something. Says, "I gave you an order, Vega Punk." And then uh, Sanji's like, "Don't do it, Bonnie." You know, you'll whatever. Uh, and then I think this is Vegapunk saying he must not have. Oh no, Saturn says he must not have any will left. And then Vegapunk says, "But but that'll mean Kuma is." And that's all we get. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where like that's still kind of the one of the lingering mysteries is how did we get from this to kuma specifically becoming a cyborg becoming one of these soldiers i got my theory Uh, and uh whatever it is i think the motivation at this point is cruelty i think uh, like like the logistics of it sure bloodline Uh, elements yada 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 i think there's i do think there's a i do think there's a layer of cruelty to it like like we know saturn is particularly interested in making it hurt for whatever reason i think it's because he wants the pacifistas to be cold terminators and I think the idea is that if Kuma still has his will when they clone him, then the pacifistas won't work because they'll be too much like Kuma, right? So maybe like, because like the pacifistas we meet before, while Kuma still has some will, are prototypes, right? But then the Mark II, right, yeah, the I Mark so. III, because yeah, they were. I think the order is that like, it, it, we've seen it with the Seraphim. Like we've seen that, like the Seraphim are clones essentially, but they were clones taken when these characters still had a build. So Mihawk's clone, like S Snake, S Hawk, and all them, they still have the personalities, right? And if the clue is that Vega or not Vega Punk, Saturn says at the end, like these are supposed to be killers. Their value is how many people they can kill, right? So like them having the personality of a pacifist goes against Saturn's intentions. And since he's the defense minister dude or whatever, I think he's going to be like, you have to take Kuma's will. And I think you're right that there is also the layer of cruelty because it's Oda. Oda's compounding that motivation. And I think that's what we're going to get. Yeah, it's, it seems pretty reasonable. I think I think there's a lot of nuance to that, which does beg the question of Esper. Yeah, they sent him back, right? He still had a, the issue that like, you know... We could, I guess we can extrapolate. I forget exactly what they said the issue was, but like maybe he wasn't fighting because he's still too much of a pacifist. And yeah, that's another thing we could try to look up real quick. But uh, And then that, I have one last yeah, comment. Yeah. This is from M. Joker Boy. And this ties into the Bonnie Straw Hat stuff, I think. So M. Joker Boy said, I knew it. Kuma made a deal with the best doctor scientist in the One Piece world in order to save Bonnie. The intentions of Dr. Vegapunk was pure. And I think he was thinking that creating the pacifistas secretly will be his escape rope from the celestial dragons but that could be because of saturn eavesdropping on all their conversations so much focus on bonnie and saturn oda really invested extra chapters on bonnie if bonnie won't be part of the straw hat crew i don't see the point why oda dedicated so many chapters to build her character and she'll just be a side character not part of the crew and oda always including saturn in the scenes makes me think that he is the father of bonnie i i'm still a little bit of like i don't think it's going to be the case but i still like to believe saturn's the father because it's just like it's just so wild and ridiculous. But I, I do I do think that like we're leaning towards Saturn dying or something huge happening with Saturn because like I think like as you and I have speculated, it might be Kuma literally using the pain bubble and essentially killing one of the Gorosei. Because it would it would be thematically how the story kind of is where it's headed. The only thing that I could see as a wrinkle would be like some sort of upset because it's one piece. And so it might not go exactly that way or it might fail or whatever. And then yeah, Travis, I mean I think Bonnie, she would just really fit the crew. I think it's simple as that. You know what part of me even wonders? 
part of me kind of wonders if Yamato was supposed to be the 10th crewmate that, uh, not the 10th overall, but the 10th added to the crew. I just really wonder if Oda was like, actually, nah, because that's going to steal Bonnie's thunder. I'm bringing Bonnie in. You know what I mean? And it, people have kind of speculated for years that he kind of decides this stuff last minute. It's like, maybe he thought about Carrot, and he was like, we'll try her out. We'll put her on a trial run, you know? And then he was like, nah, it's not going to work. But, uh, yeah. It's it's one of those things where, again, I'm just, I'm on, I'm, I am perfectly content if we just don't get a straw hat from here on out. If we're just, if Jim Bay is the last one. What kind of one-piece fan it's, are it's you? Appropriate. Yeah, You're no, content I mean, just, without more straw hats joining the fan? I, I, I just mean like for for the purposes of it, because at, at this point, we just have so many characters running around as is uh, to the point where a, a lot of people do have some admittedly valid feedback that some straw hats just don't get to shine during these arcs anymore. Um and some of that is just due to the the attention that we have to pay to a whole bunch of other things. I think I think that is a you know I don't think it's necessarily a negative criticism. I don't think it makes the makes the material bad, but I do think it's valid that that's a that's an observation. Um, at the same time, the you know the character progression for the these these characters are go, are, are slow on purpose, right? Like the Straw Hats kind of develop slowly because we have to spend so much more time with them than everybody else. So. You know, it's it's kind of a catch twenty two. We we do all this character development for Bonnie, and so that tells you, oh, she's going to join the crew. To the flip side of that, we know her whole story, and we know, you know, if this does give her the closure with her father, what is her dream? What what is her actual motivation? Again, I I see a potential future for her where she joins up with Dragon and Sabo more than than the Straw Hats uh, to kind of carry on her mother and father's legacy. That seems That's pretty just fair. as possible. Uh, we we've we've paired her off with Sabo before. Dragon, you know, I don't think Dragon and Bonnie have met. There's no indication at, at any point that they will have met by the time we get to the end of this flashback. But you know, he is aware of her. If he got one look at her, you know, that there is the very strong chance that that would bowl him over because the the least tactical thing we've ever seen Monkey D Dragon do is not assign a commander to one of his four forces out of pure sentimentality out of pure, I do not want to hurt the feelings of my friend. Uh, so you must get his, his pass. Like that's the most monkey D thing dragon has ever done. And, and, and I, you know, I think that is, it's completely feasible that, that we're setting all this up to send Bonnie that way to, to still include her in the story, but not necessarily on the straw hat ship. But it, at this point, again, the parallels between her and Luffy are so much that there has to be some reason to do this. Yeah, because I, th- I think it's that drive to be a pirate that leads me toward for Bonnie to accomplish that, to be the pirate who, you know, it becomes a pirate like her father. I do think that it does rest on moving forward with the Straw Hats. I don't see how she can move forward any other way. She doesn't really have a crew anymore. And on her own, she's not as effective. It's like, what would be next for her? It's not like Law and Kid and all of them, like where they're either just going to be routed and, you know, pull a Hawkins or something. Um, or they're just going to, you know, be eradicated. I just think that Bonnie has to keep moving in the story. Like so much attention has been paid. It, it just, I don't know what else you could do. If she does go to the revolutionaries, I feel like that, I don't know. It's it's just kind of like, it, she hasn't really been keen to the revolution at all. She's been more sort of like, my dad was a pirate. I was a pirate. My kids will be a pirate. Dang it. Um, this is uh, from Hippo. Hippo wrote this uh, some days ago in the Discord. Uh, so Kuma had sent the straw hats to places he had visited while searching for a cure to Bonnie's illness. Sick. And I'm, I'm just saying, he's not referring to the, 
this is oh, sick dude not like um you know bonnie being sick maybe both uh vegapunk is still vegapunk so intelligent yet so naive also Connie's secret is finally revealed. She has a completely separate character who is seemingly unrelated to Bonnie. Uh, I love the gag with her. Uh, also, F Saturn, all my homies hate Saturn. Like, Saturn just continues to be the worst. And it, it again, it's like, why would Oda drive this home so hard unless he had a rhyme or a reason to it? Uh, and, and then I, I wrote this. I said, I've also been wondering if we're going to find out more about a deal Ginny made with the world government, like if she let herself be captured and put into captivity in exchange for Kuma's freedom. And Saturn tells Kuma this at some point, maybe, and strikes a similarly messed up deal with Kuma over Bonnie. So my thinking there is that, like, I'm just kind of wondering if, because we didn't see when Ginny got captured, necessarily, like when her forces got defeated at uh, whatever island that was, and... I kind of wonder if like well, maybe Saturn will tell Kuma like, you know, Ginny did that, you know, Ginny allowed herself to be captured. Like he's kind of taunting him almost and tells him that, you know, Ginny, you know, agreed to do this because she thought she was protecting you. Now, uh, someone else in the discord wrote and said, uh, that would be nasty. My only concern is would Saturn or the world government let Kuma go once he's a slave, uh, knowing he has buccaneer blood. And my thinking is that at, maybe at that time they didn't know that this was that Kuma. Like maybe they didn't know that he was a buccaneer. They just kind of just knew that he was like a revolutionary dude and that's who they were after. But uh, I could be misremembering certain things there. I think, uh, I think um, at this point, we whatever reporting he's getting from Egghead includes the buccaneer revelation, if not just the obvious e- extrapolation of here's here's this guy i'm gonna clone him he has the pawpaw fruit how weird is that and saturn knows that last fruits location because they were both at god valley and at one point did straight up encounter uh this one mm-hmm. you know like like that it, it, because it is saturn in every single stage of this i i don't think it's one of these things where like something's being pulled over his eyes or or rather if there is something being pulled over his eyes we have yet not seen it yeah, that's that's the thing. I just don't know if he's like because he he knew Kuma when Kuma was like a kid, so he just might not be. And and Kuma's been hiding and everything, so we'll we'll find out. I, I again, I could just see it as one of those things where like he figures out something about Kuma, and then Ginny did what she did to protect him. I don't know. Um, Hippo, yeah, actually, we're, still, we're still missing the conversation. Like that's that's what we're really yes. missing here. Uh, Hippo actually wrote in the Discord just now. Uh, I've seen a theory that Bonnie was fed the HH fruit by Ginny when Bonnie was a baby, and she used it for the first time in the latest chapter. Why? I'm not sure. Yeah. So okay. All right. There you go, Travis. This theory is backed by not just me, but other people. Apparently. Yeah. I mean, it it, it makes the most sense to me mm-hmm. as well. I think it, again, one of those things where it's Occam's razor. Yeah, I think people um, are just being rational. They're like, well, when could she have had the fruit? Like, where she, she would have had they, it? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm way more. I'm way more interested in in the the way that it's revealed than I am in the in the logistics of how she got it. I just love when we're discording in real time. With the- yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> I saw that come through, and I was like, what the what the timing is that? Here That's going to timestamp this whole this whole project. To, to yeah, it's not going to age super exactly. well when I read the They're chapter gonna, tomorrow. <laughs> everybody's going to know exactly when we're recording from here on out, yeah. and just like immediately start posting and, and distracting us. Like that's that's and actually that's now that I think that I won't. I don't think I'll get the raws until Tuesday morning, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, what do you got to tease me like that uh, on the note of Esper, which we uh, discussed before yes um that's chapter 1062 
that we oh first boy. see um, Cypher pull arrive or uh, on route, I should say, with Esper. And notably, while Rob Lucci calls Esper a, giga- a giant brat, they don't actually say that there's anything wrong with him. Hmm. So I'm not 100% of that. Well, do they mean Lucci. that like nothing wrong with him? Like he works, but like he was like, they just, uh, they, he just says, so we're supposed to return this giant brat to Egghead, then eliminate all the Vegapunks. So it's them discussing the mission. Uh, yeah, is is that Rob Lucci just being like, oh, he's a kid, he's a giant brat, like, or is is there something else? I I think I, there's sure. another chapter where they they mention something because I remember something was going on with Esper that like like somebody mentioned that like oh that we had to bring him back or whatever because he wasn't working or something like that. I I couldn't tell you exactly, but pretty sure, pretty sure. Yeah. Side note, I, I'm rolling back here. You know, I was rolling back to find these chapters, and I'm realizing that like the beginning of Egghead did have cover stories. <laughs> it feels like a it feels like a the million German years ago. One, like, right? Yeah, the German sixty six one. We were we were literally discussing it. Was we were getting uh, we had not yet even hit the flashback stage of that cover story when we started doing this show. Uh, so I'm over here like I want cover stories back. It hasn't actually been that long. It hasn't realistically been even long enough to justify a new cover story, so I'm just being a whiner. Um, okay, I, I am. I'm. I'm jumping ahead a little bit to like 1068. Uh, Asper can complete or is capable of returning on its own from there. Yeah, I, I'm trying to find it, but I'm not finding anything. Yeah, I'm not either. I, I am seeing that. Uh, you know, it is possible that it was like a, a ruse taking Esper back, like under the guise of like he was malfunctioning when really uh, they were just trying to sneak onto Egghead as a pretense, like CP0 mm-hmm. was. So it might be that. I, I might be misremembering how that went down. Um, I mean, yeah. but we know now that at least a couple of these Seraphim do seem to carry on the personality of those that they're cloned from. So does that apply to Esper? It's not an invalid question. Right, and Esper could have just, you know, he could be the clone of Kuma that, you know, when Kuma didn't have any will left. So there is yeah, that too. That I mean, I mean, for what consider. it's worth, for what it's worth, any behavior that Esper might or might not have exhibited prior to this flashback wouldn't necessarily be something we'd clock because we mm. wouldn't know to look for it. We didn't really talk about it, but, I, you know, I do kind of, I, I like the rapport between Vegapunk and Kuma here. And like, we, we always knew kind of the pacifista thing was supposed to be like, oh, you're pacifying, you know. But, uh, you know, the idea of them being like pacifist based on Kuma being a pacifist. And no, no, it's like, it's a nice little connection there. It's a nice little like, oh, to be like, yeah, that's kind of what the idea of this is. And it's, uh, it, it's just, it's a little sad considering like how twisted and messed up this whole thing got. And you have to wonder how conflicted and guilty Vegapunk must feel for basically unleashing the the pacifistas in a situation where they're being misused at this point. It almost makes me wonder like if Vegapunk really was gearing up for some kind of reversal in the world government based on his research into the the void century, right? And how this was kind of inevitable that he was gonna they're gonna try to assassinate him. Yeah, you know, again, another kind of bookending situation here. Um, we we because Egghead has been so many things at different parts of its run here. Uh, it's been a little bit lost in the sauce that like Vegapunk is a complex character here. He is he's a character who has had at least one other character say directly to his face that you're kind of helping the bad guys, man. Like you know that, right? Like, 
and make him more of a, a, a morally great character. In, you know, since he's basically the subject of who we're trying to save, um, or the Straw Hats are trying to save, I should say, you know, it's kind of been washed over the fact that, like, hey, there's a not zero chance that, like, that whole island hole that happened earlier is kind of this guy's fault. Like, 100%, that's entirely still on the table. And this is a nice reminder that, like, hey, Vegapunk, was doing most of this for money, um, even if his intentions were ultimately, you know, pure or as you know, as pure as like maybe a scientist who hasn't taken an ethics course uh, might <laughs> be. Like he, uh, you know, he still kind of has that on his hands. And you know, this is a Japanese story. This is a Japanese author. You know, Oda Oda's you know part of a slightly older generation who does, might not necessarily have been alive during you know, the post the immediate post-war Japan, but still definitely lived in the after effects of that. The opinions of a lot of the project work that went into the weapons of war from World War II and onward is just different in Japan. How could it not be? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and it's just so seeing this nuanced but still very clearly like, hey, I'm not letting this guy off the hook here kind of kind of situation. I like that. I like that a lot. I want to bring up, by the way, it is kind of wild to consider that at age 10 years old, when we meet Bonnie, Jewelry Bonnie, well, she's already a member of the worst generation, and she has a bounty of 140 million berries. That's not that far after what we're seeing in this chapter. What did she do to get she escaped. that big of a bounty? She escaped. escaped. That's what it is. It's got to be, right? Whatever whatever Saturn does to convince Kuma to let himself be converted because that's the big that's the big sticking point here that we still need to figure out is right now Vegapunk is not saying let me turn you into a robot. What he's saying is let me clone you. That has nothing to do with Kuma's person. So whatever happens between this conversation and the end of this story is something gets him stuck on being converted himself. Deal mm. with the devil. He says it himself. I'd make a deal with the devil if it saves Bonnie. Saturn is literally a devil. It's just, she's still, it seems likely. She still raises, her bounty raises even more after the time skip. It's a 320 billion, uh, million. Yeah, I mean, she goes, she, at one point, she's literally in front of a Kainu and got away. Sure. There's something, there's I mean, something fishy about this. I'm just saying. I mean, I would love, I would love for it to be that she's, she's out there like liberating things and like causing chaos like Luffy or something like that would be perfectly fine by me. I hope, yeah, I, I want to get an indication of it. That's all. I think it'd be yeah, cool. I want an explanation for like why she does that lipstick thing the way she does. Like if there's like a, an idea behind that, I think it'd be funny if it was literally like she was looking up, she was trying to figure out like what pirates to emulate and like found a picture of Big Mom. And was kind of like, kind of realized they looked almost similar and was like, I'll do my, if I do, uh, you know, that kind of makeup or whatever, cause she's playing pirate in a sense, you know, and then she could look at that and essentially say like, oh, that's what you have to do to be a you know pirate. Like we should be getting a whole thing of like showing us how Bonnie becomes jewelry Bonnie, right? Yeah. I mean, it, I guess that, I mean, that really comes down to how many chapters are left in this flashback. We haven't had that many, all no. things considered. We haven't been doing like this for long. Yeah, it just feels like it's been a lot because it's just been a lot. Well, because so much time has passed. Yeah. They've been very action heavy. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it seems it seems feasible that we're going to be wrapping it up because, again, 1100 seems just like a really nice pin to put this in. But uh, I, I do wonder if we'll get a little bit more just to see stuff like that. Because, again, if Bonnie, if this is really it, we're getting the closure to Bonnie's arc here, you know, and she's not joining the Straw Hats, then it would be nice to get some of that. 
if if she's if if you are right if your if your uh company succeeds in its goals and she joins the straw hats uh i mean who knows maybe we'll find out a bunch don't forget kizaru didn't want to hurt her right there's still some Kizaru. Well, I mean, I mean, Kizaru is sentimental about uh, Sentamaru, and now we know that they were at least at one point all on this island together. Why wouldn't Kizaru yeah, also so, be here? It's like yeah, a little so, found so family they've back. created. Because this would huh? be, this would be. Oh, you know, we didn't talk about this, but uh, really, really briefly, yeah, it's interesting that this. actual science is being involved in this now. Science, like with what? Like, like actual grounded, real science is happening right now. Like the, these, these stem cell conversations. I literally, uh, oh, when I, when yeah, I read yeah. that, when I, my, uh, my spouse is a is a biology major, so I, I immediately ran and grabbed her, and I was like, "You're never going to believe this. This is how they're going to cure body." And she lost her mind because that's super exciting for her. But uh, so like, next you're going to tell me that's so political. Next you're going to tell me there's a Joe Biden joke. There's in a the Joe manga. Biden joke in an episode of Rookie Pirate Radio. We would we would never. Uh, <laughs> but it, but it is really interesting um, that this is that this is the thing because that's that's a process, right? This isn't like a snap your fingers. Vegapunk has the answer. She's cured. They're going to have to. She is probably going to have to be on that island for some time. So we could get a situation where we build this nice little family unit and there's Sentamaru and, Ki- and Uncle Kizaru comes by for a visit and like everybody maybe gets along or, you know, builds some kind of like tenuous family relationship and she's included in that because she has to be here for this treatment. That's possible. I wanted to bring up, by the way, when during the Marine for Dark, there's a whole thing where we see Bonnie, like Bonnie's still uh, on Sabaudi and she's crying over what's happening. And we don't know exactly, I don't think we know exactly why. We just know that she like is watching the broadcast. And I think the implication people were like, oh, she's crying because like she respected Whitebeard, like so many other people. But again, I think this is a strong indication that no, all along, it's because Kuma was there at Marineford. 100%. Right? 100%. And, I, uh, I imagine that was the moment that uh, Oda decided that something like this was eventually going to happen. Yeah, she, so she literally, she remarked that some event at the war was all someone's fault. And that's Vegapunk. Telling, and then she's like, we're going to go to the new world and we're going to go after Vegapunk. Mm-hmm. Pretty wild. Um, yeah. And then she gets, of course, you know, defeated and, and taken up by uh, Blackbeard. So, yeah. It's very true. Wild. Wild. Um, man. Anyway. Should we talk about Scott Pilgrim takes off? Yeah, I mean, we've gone a little long, but I, like I said, you can't stop me now that you open <laughs> that door. So we're going to do it. It can be quick, easy, and free. Uh, okay. Something's going on with Scott Pilgrim takes off. Quick, quick explanation. If you don't know what we're talking about, you're like, Scott Pilgrim, the Edgar Wright movie or the graphic novels? <laughs> Neither. We're talking about the anime adaptation. I think we brought it up on Rookie Pirate Radio before. But uh, yeah, no, it's an anime adaptation of the graphic novels and the movie. It's kind of an interesting union of the mediums because... It is the art style of Brian Lee O'Malley's, or Brian O'Malley's, I forget how to say his name, uh, his, his work on the Scott Pilgrim volumes, and, uh, you know, Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Life, and the movie of which, uh, so this anime actually has Edgar Wright as executive producer, and the movie, of course, is the live-action version had all the, like, actors and everything, and for the anime, they have a lot of stuff from the movie that wasn't in the graphic novels, and... The characters are voiced by the same character, the actors who played them in live action. It's really interesting. Uh, I've watched the first two episodes and I have been loving it. 
because it is not what I expected at all. Now, I will admit, there is a point where I was watching it and I was kind of like, you know, I kind of just want to watch the movie because I've watched the movie so many times. It's kind of hard for me to experience the story a different way at this point. But the first episode did something where I was just like, okay, yes, yes. Now, me enjoying it aside, and I'm, I hope that you've been enjoying it as well, there's been some drama. There, there has been a, a contentious issue, and we'll probably not talk about this in full breath because I think we're going to have to talk about this in, a, in an episode of Ricky Pirate Radio during a break week, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that is, uh, that is the contentious debate over whether or not Scott Pilgrim takes off is an anime. Which, oh, you know, it's a silly debate. You know why? Because you want to tell because me it's the an Devil anime? Man Cry, yeah, because it's an anime. Because it's you an anime? Me, you want to yeah, tell me the Devil Man Cryberry? The Devil Man Crybaby Studio isn't anime enough for you? Are you mad? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. It it is it it looks like an anime. It acts like an anime. Why is it not an anime? Oh, because has, somebody else It has a Japanese themed OP. It has uh, a stacked Japanese voice acting cast, by the way. I don't know if you've actually like I'm gonna go back and watch it in uh, Japanese just because they, they absolutely just got some of the heavy hitters right now to, to, to do that. Um, like I, I, the, the graphic novel was basically a manga. <laughs> like, like it's well, specifically formatted like one because people, I don't think, I think when people even, even in like good faith, look at this situation and are like, well, you know, I get what you're saying guys, but like, you know, it's, it's kind of fashioned after an anime, but like, you know, it's not Japanese. It wasn't made, you know, solely by Japanese people. First of all, a lot of anime is not solely made by Japanese people. Uh, but also it's, there's more to it than like the zip code or territory time zone of where something is created because you can literally have Japanese studios make hollywood movies like it's a thing you know why because it's a cultural aesthetic and look that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to live up to the culture aesthetic that it is appropriating and i don't mean appropriating as a pejorative i just mean it as something that is heavily inspired and lifting from it's the same thing with like avatar the last airbender i think that one is a little bit squishier Ooh. in terms of like considering I think it's a type of anime. I don't think that it's fair to call it like a full on. I think Scott Pilgrim takes off is much, much closer though to an anime. Having, having uh, actually watched the whole thing, I I have seen it all the way through. It's excellent, by the way. Um, genuinely excellent. You're gonna, you're gonna, you and I will gush about it by the time you get to the end of it for sure. Um, but. This is a this is a tense conversation. Not specifically about Scott Pilgrim. I think really at the end of the day, uh, the the problem is is it's it's being basically sold with the with the voice cast. It's being sold with Edgar Wright's involvement. It's being sold with the original writer's involvement. So it comes off as an American production. It's a hundred percent superficial in my opinion. Yes. The but in the, the larger conversation. This is something that uh, a little bit peek behind the curtain. We are currently doing our plans for end of year content uh, for the anime section for in between drafts. We had a couple of voting. Uh, uh, sessions of voting for anime of the year and one of our uh one of our writers uh nominated castlevania nocturne which kicked off a several hours long conversation between myself and a couple of other editors uh about whether or not we should let that one fly <laughs> because 
yeah, <laughs> it looks like an anime. Uh, so this is this is kind of a this is a kind of a complicated debate, and it's interesting that this is happening right now because the the other side of the site that I edit for is the video game section, and the video game section itself had kind of a inter- like video game culture and uh, the press specifically had kind of a bit of a of a discourse. Uh, for lack of a better word, about the use of the term JRPG. I don't know if you've heard about this, John. Oh, yes. Too much into it. You heard about this. Okay. So, um, Naoki Yoshida, the director of Final Fantasy 14 and 16, um, says in an interview, hey, you know, for a really long time, you know, the Western press would call the games we put out like JRPGs, and I didn't appreciate that. It felt othering. It felt... Uh, it, it felt like some sort of lesser than, and like the that caused a bit of a reevaluation for some to be like, yeah, you know, it is kind of weird that like specifically we just call out like this one region for this kind of design, as if mm-hmm. like turn-based RPGs don't exist in other spaces, especially now with the indie scene. You know, like the, like the specific things you look for in like a classic Final Fantasy or or a classic like Earthbound. Like Undertale is the same game as Earthbound when you get strip it down to its bare ass tax and. Uh, you know, Toby Fox now actually works with a lot of Japanese studios, in fact. So it's it's one of those things where the line has been completely blurred as if it needed to be drawn in the first place. And, and you know, it's even led to some unearthing of some relatively problematic uh, pieces of, of media from that time, really disparaging of the genre and stuff. And I've wondered kind of if if maybe we're getting to a point where we have to start having that conversation uh, about anime and in, in in terms of how we cover it, how we discuss it, not necessarily saying that like we should all of a sudden start treating like Steven Universe as an anime. I think it's anime inspired, but it's very it's it's handled entirely different than like an anime production. Agreed, yeah. But at the same time, you know, the, right now the one of the strongest output studios uh, in this particular um, medium is MAPPA and the way that they make this stuff is just untenable and unethical so maybe it, you know it, it, just like this is the way that it has to be isn't a good thing even so this is this is a we could go on and on about this it is kind of a larger nuanced conversation but in any case Scott Pilgrim Takes Off is one of the most anime animes I've seen all year long it was it's fantastic so uh, the only, literally, the only, uh, the only complaint that I genuinely have about it, one hundred percent. I'm going to actually do a full review for the site, um, but the the thing that I really hate is I number one Netflix. I really wish Netflix did weekly releases for more content because you've only watched two episodes, and I kind of envy you because you get to now spend some time thinking about those two episodes instead of just immediately going to the next ones. Uh, but also, uh, you know, it's it, it's one of those things where I wish they had released it earlier in the year so more people would have watched it because we had to do our voting for the end of the year stuff. Uh, and uh, I was like, the cutoff is the 17th. And then like two weeks later, they're like, Scott Pilgrim releases on 17th. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be cutting it real close. I got to jam that whole show in before <laughs> I send my ballot in. Awesome. Cool. So I did, but not everybody got a chance to. So it's just it just kind of kind of sucks. But I mean, if those are the things that I'm complaining about, excellent, excellent series. Like it's kind of amazing that Netflix has kind of got at least two of the best anime of the year on its platform this year. That's that's buck wild to me. Netflix has come a long way, and it, it's regrettable because I don't like watching anime on Netflix for reasons that dig at something that has nothing to do with you know details, tangible like a, a certifiable thing that I can complain about. It really just comes down to. I like to watch anime on Crunchyroll more. <laughs> like that's always been my experience, which, and like, which is nuts because you hate the Crunchyroll app. Well, sure, who doesn't? 
but yeah, I mean, I like all my things to be in one place. That's yeah, you know, the autism comes in when it comes in. But look, when it comes down to it, this reminds me so much of the book world and and literary stuff because it's the same kind of thing where people complain of like you're calling this sci-fi when it's really fantasy you're calling this fantasy when it's really sci-fantasy or romanticy and when it comes down to it like young adult books versus middle grade books versus this is new adult this is adult these are just tools that we're using as shorthand when it comes down to it it does not technically matter all that much whether or not somebody thinks Scott Pilgrim takes off as an anime or they think Harry Potter is YA, who cares? It, all it really comes down to is like you're just trying to do something that bookstores were doing for generations, which is making it easier for you to find the thing that you want, which is like, oh yeah, this is the kind of thing I want and I'm using keywords to get there. Uh, Brandon Sanderson was just talking about this a little bit on, uh, on YouTube. I, I forget, he was talking to somebody. And was talking about how like that used to really like the industry always changes. And when, you know, books or shows, movies and genres kind of evolve and they blend, we're kind of moving more toward that sort of democratic hybriding of different things where you can have something like Scott Pilgrim takes off, which is not, a, you know, a pure, whatever that means, anime in the sense that, you know, it doesn't have all the, you know, bells and whistles of something that was made in Osaka. But it is, for all intents and purposes, an anime product. It's really what it comes down to. And it's for people who like anime and who like Scott Pilgrim and like want to see both put together. And that doesn't necessarily mean that like we can't distinguish that like, yeah, it's different from like traditional anime, but it's it's all a Venn diagram kind of thing. And when it comes down to it, it's being marketed toward people who like that aesthetic. Why wouldn't it be? Because it's what it is. So like, that's why to me, it's just so silly to just be like, well, it's not an anime. It's like, it's for, it's anime. It's for people who like anime. There you go. And it's like, that doesn't, it doesn't have to be exactly like Demon Slayer for you to, you know, kind of recognize it to the point where like, sure, you could totally see like an American studio continue to get closer and closer to just creating stuff that looks, feels and behaves like anime. We've come really close to that kind of thing with things like, what was it? Uh, Yasuke or whatever it was the, you know, the, I forget exactly what Yasuke, whatever it was. It was like a Netflix show where like they had like American voice actors. It was an anime, but it was also like, I think mostly like maybe it was like Keith Stanfield produced. I don't even remember, but Stuff oh, like yeah, that. It? yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And also, like, you know, anime continuously is being used as like a not not an aesthetic, but like the the kind of precepts of anime and manga, the storytelling rules of that type of story, you know, which are are huge. Like you can't distill it down simply, but we're seeing more and more people who are raised on anime like you and me, who like, you know, before our generation, it was extremely hard to, to find anime in the West. You know, like this is the age of like Robotech and stuff. So, like you had some things, but like it, it definitely is nothing like what uh, millennials, Gen Z and Gen Alpha are, are able to enjoy these days. And we're seeing that echo into culture. We're seeing it echo into movies like Creed 3, where Michael B. Jordan, Michael B. Jordan, the director and star of that movie is like, yeah, I base a lot of this stuff out of, off of anime. Here are exact scenes where I use like anime that I grew up with to kind of tell this story. Yeah, sure. My character and the Jonathan Majors character, oops, are completely modeled after Naruto and Sasuke. This is just going to keep happening. And a lot of it's going to be marketing weirdness. It's going to be like, 
I made it like a because like an anime because they think that'll get people to watch it. It's uh, um, it's gonna so be it's it. gonna be collaborations with the L.A. Rams and Doei for a, a <laughs> One Piece day. Oh boy, how long were you holding on to that one? That was uh, as soon as you started going down this road. I was like, I got to talk about the I got to talk about the L.A. Rams. Let me tell you. <laughs> now, now that we have L.A. ranted, uh, I'm good to call it. If you are, I've got, I got a lot off my chest. I, I want to stress that last part was not a joke. That's a real thing. Yes. Yes, it is. But other um, than that, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Rookie Pirate Radio. It's going to be a busy month. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. If uh, you're a fan of Rookie Pirate Radio, be like other stuff. Don't forget, we have our Discord. Uh, it is award season. Travis, I, I am neck deep in screeners. And so uh, I would just say that if, uh, you know, you would also like movies and things like that, you can always uh, subscribe to Cinemaholics as well. Travis, if you did another podcast, because I got three going on right now, I'm tired. Uh, Travis, what's your second podcast going to be? Is it going to be a video game podcast? What's it it, I mean, I mean, it would have to be. Uh, it, it, would, it would have to be. The Joy uh, of but, Sticks? But it, the, 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 yeah, something. Uh, it, would be, it would be probably dragging Evan in and tricking him into a situation where I can record him on, on, you know, on audio, asking him directly if he thinks Metroid Prime 4 is ever going to come out. Just, just to I like how you start with that, that energy. Specific. Yeah. yeah, it's, 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 a, you know, I mean, he doesn't listen to these, these manga recaps. He only does the other episodes, so he will never know that that's my evil plan. But I, I, maybe a link in the show notes just to this section <laughs> since it's not manga spoilery and he can, uh, if yeah. you, if that's a thing that people want, uh, hey, Discord, let us know. That's right. Thank yes. you. You can always go in the Discord and we'll find you there. Uh, but yeah, that'll do it for us this week. See you on the next one.